Welcome to the show, and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, as we explore everything from Space Kraken to Giant Sandworms. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash and use my code IsaacArthur. This video is sponsored by CuriosityStream. Get access to my streaming video service, Nebula, when you sign up for CuriosityStream using the link in the description. We often wonder why we can't see any aliens, and it might be that they are out there and can see us, but make it so we can't see them. That Earth is essentially a zoo. Of course if we are in a zoo, it does make one wonder what their equivalent of peanuts would be. The Fermi Paradox is the big question of where all the aliens are when we don't seem to hear from them but the Universe seems to be a huge and ancient place. In our galaxy alone there are many billions of stars, likely possessing a planet of around Earth's mass, orbiting at a distance where liquid water might be on the surface, and which are as old as our own Sun, or order. And of course we have many billions of galaxies. It just doesn't seem probable that we could be it, either the only advanced civilization out there or the first on the galactic stage. Last fall we continued our discussion of the various hurdles or filters that might make advanced civilizations less probable than we tend to assume in our Great Filter series, but I thought we'd spend a bit of time this spring looking at some of the Fermi Paradox solutions that assume intelligent life is pretty common and tends to hang around. This is opposed to the Great Filters that life, or intelligent life at least, occurs very rarely or as we discussed in Late Filters, tend not to last very long. For today, we'll assume more optimistic views of both how aliens might act and their capacity to do so, that they aren't malevolent or so alien as to be indecipherable in their behavior, and that they could send ships here to contact us if they chose to. We'll examine the notion that they might be unable to go out and settle the stars and send ships here later this month in Fermi Paradox Whispers in the Dark. Now if we assume they are not malevolent nor so utterly alien in motivations that we can't predict anything about them, and that they are common enough and willing and able to colonize new worlds, we have a bit of a problem. It just seems likely they would be interested in us since it's rather inconceivable we wouldn't be in their shoes. Now this doesn't mean they all would be by any means, they might tend to view us as a rather boring and insignificant little pale blue dot full of primitive hailless apes, but it only takes one and if we assume they're curious by nature, which is strongly implied by them having technology, someone would have taken an interest. After all, few of us care about some random species of fish or insect, but there are plenty of folks who make a career of studying them, and certainly would talk to them if they could. Similarly, Earth might be a primitive backwater, but we never hesitate to poke around our own backwaters. Comparing Earth to Space Kansas is humorous, but Kansas has millions of visitors every year. Of course to be fair, many folks visiting Kansas are actually visiting relatives, and an alien wouldn't have any relatives here or just passing through on their way elsewhere, and Earth is not an exit ramp with restaurants and gas stations, as space travel doesn't really work that way. You don't pull over to refuel and stretch your legs in space, you speed up then cruise to your destination as it takes no extra fuel to cover more distance, you only burn it speeding up and slowing down, so stopping to refuel doesn't make sense. Even if you need to resupply you stop someplace genuinely boring, like a small icy rock with no significant gravity well that you can suck raw materials out of. Regardless, folks do stop in Kansas for things unique to Kansas besides people or location, such as its nature preserves, 
quite a few people too as it's a rather beautiful place, as is my own home of Ohio which is also proverbially boring. And again you don't need a flood of visitors, it only takes one to stop by and say hi, they needn't be particularly normal either. If no one is stopping them and they've got easy space travel, or at least practical space travel, then it could be just one rather eccentric alien who heard about the lovely wines we make up in my hometown of Geneva and decided to land in my backyard to sample those and give me a nervous breakdown, then have to call my friend Jimmy Church to apologize, tell him he was right all along, and then redo all our Fermi Paradox and Alien Civilizations episodes. Indeed you might have someone visit Earth and me specifically just because they were spying on our communications and rolling around in laughter at those episodes and were a touch malicious. We're only assuming they're not grossly malevolent today after all, as opposed to actually nice and enlightened people. Confirmation bias is a big one on this topic and I don't make much of a secret, I tilt to the solutions we discussed in the Great Filter series, but as usual we'll try to treat today's topic fairly, and it's past time we got to that so grab a drink and a snack and let's get rolling. The zoo hypothesis is essentially a blanket term for those Fermi Paradox solutions which say they are quite capable of contacting us but choose not to do so. That could be a direct zoo analogy, though it does not have to be, and in any event we do generally interact with zoo animals, except where they are too dangerous for us to approach, or where we are worried about their health, physical or mental. Zoos aren't really meant to hide humans from animals, just replicate their natural habitat, but some critters don't handle humans well, and that's one of the motives often given for this approach. The zoo hypothesis contains examples like the Star Trek Prime Directive of non-interference, where you are an ethical being who thinks it's unethical and unwise to go poking at a species before they're ready for contact if you don't have to. It's a mind-your-own-business approach with a pragmatic exception of those capable of traveling to stars already, as you really have no choice but to interact with them and you are still curious about them and want to talk to them. Now there's many more aspects to the zoo hypothesis than the Prime Directive case, but it's a good one to use to highlight the problems of the zoo hypothesis, on first glance anyway, and we examined some of those problems in our episode Smug Aliens. One point I made there is that not all civilizations will agree on non-interference, nor would all members of that civilization. Many might feel you absolutely should say hello and even share your knowledge with them at the earliest chance. So you have to enforce it, establish a travel ban and quarantine, and that's a very iffy proposition. You have to maintain it for millions of years, and the threat of punishing someone isn't likely to be super effective. As I said in that episode, if someone feels the existence of that primitive species is endangered, even the threat of death isn't likely to stop them. Threatened with a firing squad, my death saved a civilization, are pretty good last words to have carved on your tombstone. Now that would seem likely to kill the entire notion, but there are some ways around this. First off, it doesn't actually matter how many civilizations are out there and how varied they are, it really only matters what the local big dog thinks on the matter. Some ancient sprawling empire might have arisen early in our region of space and said to their neighbors, to paraphrase Arthur C. Clarke from his Space Odyssey series, all these worlds are yours except Earth, attempt no landing there, use them together, use them in peace. They might agree, they might resent it, but they're very unlikely to be willing to go to war over it, especially since even if you think leaving the primitives in peace is ethically wrong, it's a bit hard to seize the moral high ground they are to justify a bloody interstellar war, particularly as you'd probably lose since they're ancient and you probably don't want to die on that hill. That is the first rule of warfare after all, 
go pick on someone your own size or smaller. David sometimes beats Goliath, but we remember that story because it's the exception to the rule, normally Goliath beats the stuffy out of you. So we could be a rare example of civilization in this universe, not because they are rare, but because they are rarely uncontacted by our point, and we just happen to fall under the dominion of some empire that follows something akin to the Star Trek Prime Directive, and is willing and able to enforce it in regard to other species. Of course their own members might be trickier. For that matter, while other galactic empires might agree to leave us be, they're going to have a hard time preventing one of their citizens from sending a signal our way if they want, and that more high ground issue goes away if that protective empire decides to attack you because their monitors for Earth picked up a signal and tagged it as coming from your backyard and sent an armada. You might not be willing to risk a war with them over going to Earth to say hi or sending a sanctioned signal, but trying to enforce your own non-contact policy to the degree necessary to keep anyone from beaming a signal to Earth is another matter. It doesn't matter if you're even willing to give up the culprit for punishment, because the deed is already done, and they might cheerfully surrender themselves for that punishment. Again, my death saved a civilization are pretty good last words, and for many folks, so are my death enlightened a civilization. Then there's the matter of keeping that quarantine and for how long. In Star Trek they do warp travel as their contact threshold, on the presumable grounds that now those folks are capable of interstellar flight, they're going to start meeting people, but realistically your tipping point is likely to be as soon as they discover radio. Not so much because they pick up on signals, even assuming advanced civilizations use omnidirectional radio signals, they'd probably be compressed digital ones that just look like noise. Rather, if you've got radio you now definitely know what the electromagnetic spectrum is and will start noticing the universe is full of a lot more than visible light coming off stars. You're going to investigate and you'd start noticing other civilizations, and also be able to receive transmissions from other folks if they sent them. It's worth keeping in mind that a group quarantining from contact also has to worry about false signals or propaganda being sent to the protected world too. It also implies you're only a few centuries from figuring out space travel, and while that might be earlier than they'd like to make contact, when you're doing quarantines for potentially millions of years, that's probably at the point where you'd shrug and say, good enough, they're about as ready as they'll get and it will take way more effort to screen them now. Needless to say, if that's the case, it's not a great Fermi Paradox solution since the Fermi Paradox is about why we specifically can't see aliens, and we obviously do have radio. Nor can you really point to light lag and say that someone living a thousand light years away wouldn't know we had that technology yet, because they can presumably set up a transmitter to run that whole time. Although if the local big dog is threatening use of force, it's a lot more plausible that they can enforce that one since if you detect anyone signaling Earth, stop them or else, is a lot different than prevent anyone ever doing it even briefly or else, so that one might work. At least to distant empires. As to your own people in nearby worlds, well, anyone within 50 light years of us has had time enough to hear us, figure us out enough to say something clearly artificial, decide to send something back and have it reach us, and there are over a thousand stars within that volume, many dozens of which probably have planets they could easily have terraformed, assuming they even limit themselves to terraforming, which they probably do not in favor of just building their habitats. It also wouldn't include any personnel on board their quarantine fleet blockading the Earth or monitor bases watching us. 
As to an actual blockade against physical visitors, maintaining something like that for millions of years is a pretty dubious affair, simply because we'd be assuming that original civilization changes over time and has to worry about things like budgets, not to mention folks who decide to break the rules. However, it's not really all that inconceivable they might build some artificial intelligence that was very rigidly and fanatically programmed to guard and quarantine that world even against that empire, the equivalent of a minefield they can't shut off. They could doubtless do so if they really wanted to, but may have set it up so solidly that it took a major effort and deliberately made it tamper-proof against even themselves so their descendants couldn't change their minds. They might hesitate to build something that powerful that might later be a threat to them. After all, you should never hand someone a gun unless you know which way they're going to aim it, that's the first rule of warfare, but if they are a massive sprawling empire, they just need to make it tough enough to discourage folks and probably have way more ships and guns of their own than that lone automated system protecting our system would have. You'd figure we'd notice something like that hanging around our solar system, but since it only needs to maintain a small portion of itself active, there could be whole armadas of ships, or self-replicating machines and power collectors, all folded up and buried under a thin skin of ice or rock. When dealing with an advanced civilization, with access to some of the tech we've discussed us potentially using within even the next few centuries, don't even rule out something like the entire asteroid belt being nothing but warships covered in a thin layer of debris or even something like Jupiter being a giant megacomputer with an artificial micro-black hole at its core and hordes of robots and raw material buried under the atmosphere. You could probably make that look pretty natural, especially since the native species only knows what natural is by looking at their own solar system anyway. Until a couple of decades ago, we couldn't even have said if gas giants elsewhere in the galaxy looked even vaguely like our own, and we still can't see them well. Amusingly, if we flat out blockaded another solar system with warships that overtly looked like warships, and some other, primitive species we were protecting saw them, they might just assume spaceships were natural objects like asteroids instead. If your main goal is to protect them from being exposed to the Big Bad Universe, you probably don't have any real issues cannibalizing most of the resources in that solar system besides their homeworld to use for that protection especially since you can't just turn the stuff over to them, even as recycled raw materials if you like. Such mega-engineering and manufacturing is mostly about energy and the sun gives off plenty, only about a billionth of which ever hits Earth. If you got even fairly simplistic automated manufacturing, like we probably will have within a generation or two or maybe ten, and you see some world with primitive apes playing with fire, that's plenty of time to send in the robots and crank up your production there to screen them from contact and screen might be rather literal. If you're just trying to keep signals and ships from getting through, it is conceivable you might build a big thin shell around their planet or whole solar system that scrambled signals and watched for interlopers to warn off or pulverize. Of course if you're doing that, you might decide that instead of trying to obscure the outside universe, which may well be full to the brim of Kardashev II or higher civilizations, and those are kinda hard to hide, that you just build that shell like the wall of a zoo that you decorated to look natural. Kind of like a big dome made of TV screens that showed a fake world outside, only scaled up a lot. And that might sound pretty crazy, but in truth it's not that hard to do, especially for shielding someone pre-space flight. We've certainly considered bigger constructs on this show than some millimeter thick TV screen englobing a planet that you could probably build by disassembling one medium-sized asteroid 
of which there are millions to choose from locally. Presumably anyway, there is no guarantee what the screen shows is what the natural universe would look like minus the civilizations now inhabiting it, but if your goal is to let them naturally develop without interference, then it stands to reason you're trying to keep their view of the universe reasonably natural. Or seemingly so anyway. As I said a bit ago, we only know what natural is from observing nature and assuming it's natural, and we've got enough big questions and unknowns still that we can't assume we just notice a telltale and see it for a big giveaway that things were fake. Earth might exist in some little bubble with a fake universe on display that only loosely matches reality. We can't assume the only reason for such a quarantine is to let us naturally develop undisturbed by aliens. The motivation might be to see how a civilization would develop without knowing about aliens because it was so rare and long ago since the last time that actually happened, just a handful of times billions of years ago to the outer species, that someone commissioned the project as an experiment. We might be orbiting inside someone else's native home system on an artificially constructed world. As to our own spacecraft, we've never sent anything manned farther than the moon, and while they probably could build a bubble, solar system-wide, let's not ignore that they could probably very easily see any of our probes headed out to deep space and just hijack them and send back fake signals if they wanted to. I really doubt some ancient alien empire is going to have issues rapidly hacking the computers on one of our space probes. For that matter, they could probably do that to manned ships too. It's presumably a lot harder to hack and brainwash a human while jamming their signals and sending fake stuff home so Mission Control thinks all is well, but they can probably do it and probably have got extensive physiological and neurological databases on us, and would have plenty of time to prepare for that. It's not like our current spacecraft are fast or sneaky, even ignoring that we'd be discussing such a mission on the news years before it even launched. That's a bit awkward if we ever reach the contact stage and they have to explain that they've not only been tinkering with our probes but probing our astronauts' brains, or other uncomfortable places, but they might not give a fig. They presumably think whatever they were doing was reasonably ethical and we could be convinced of the same, particularly as they presumably have a lot of guns and very big ones at that. That is the first rule of warfare after all. The persuasiveness of your argument is directly proportional to how much firepower you have to argue your case. And again, they might not care if we're angry, particularly since the astronaut brainwashing case requires they have brainwashing technology, which combined with lots of firepower offers additional means of convincing folks you're right. You can, after all, simply sterilize their planet if they get too uppity about their treatment, and indeed if your original motive was just a scientific experiment, you might regard it as simply cleaning up your lab and washing your petri dishes. As I said though, for today we're assuming the aliens in question are not malevolent and wholesale genocide is hard to argue as anything but malevolent. You don't just kill off an entire intelligent species to avoid them hoarding a grudge of mistreatment unless you're pretty darn evil. Depending on what we mean by kill off, anyway. There's an assumption that it's pretty likely civilizations tend to go digital or otherwise post-biological eventually uploading their minds to computers or beginning as artificial intelligences and replacing the biological species that made them. If that's the case, kill is a bit ambiguous. If you really want to quarantine a world, the easiest place to do that is in a separate universe they can't get out of and nobody can get into without a key. Now they might actually be able to build universes, we don't want to assume they're particularly bound by known physics, but they probably can build simulated ones, 
it is pretty likely we will have that level of computerization and sophistication before our first manned ship ever heads out to another star. After all, you don't actually need to simulate every particle, just the actual brains of the folks in it, and their reality down to whatever their bandwidth of observation is. A simulated mind is not a brain in a vat, it's code, so you can go in and leave triggers that let you know if someone just had a gotcha moment and saw through the illusion or leave things in there to make them ignore those flaws or just pause the simulation and rewrite things including their memory so they saw no flaw. Hard to catch errors in a pretty deep and high resolution simulation too if you've got quantum mechanics at the bottom layer, since little random events all the way down at the fundamental level of reality rather interfere with trying to repeat certain experiments to see if you're in a simulation. You don't need to simulate them having a computer that can calculate the quadrillionth digit of pi or a large prime number either, just a computer that acts like it's doing that and sends a call to your own database containing those and again you can always pause the simulation and tinker if you need to. So it doesn't necessarily take anything like an atom by atom simulation requiring a planet-sized computer, but it's actually quite possible they'd have those and more too anyway. Still, this particular version of the zoo hypothesis is pretty effective. You find an intelligent species and want to protect them from interference, and you're already post-biological yourself so you probably do not have a moral issue with transferring brains to computers anyway. You sneak onto the planet, infect everyone with tiny little robots that reproduce and crawl into everyone, scan their brains, then flip them off and turn them on again in your nice safe simulation. You could presumably do that for every single critter with a brain, big or not, leaving that planet covered in corpses. You collect up all the biological and DNA samples you want, then disassemble that planet for raw materials to build more computers. And you don't need to put them there either, they're just frozen till you boot them up so you can bring your hard drives home to the center of your empire, protected by your own armadas, and keep backups of everybody here and there while keeping that simulation on a nice secured firewall computer. Even if someone does get in and tinker, you just revert to your last safe archive state. It also lets you save civilizations while eliminating competitors, as they're inside a simulation you control, so it's a handy way for a marginally ethical species to get the galaxy all for itself. Mind you, doing that, especially with the motive of keeping them there forever, to keep you safe from them too, no competitors, is pretty messed up but it is inside the zone of what I can imagine our own species convincing itself was ethical, so I wouldn't rule out aliens doing the same. People can rationalize a lot where self-interest is concerned, and I suspect that's fairly universal, even when those people were born under an alien sun and have 20 eyeballs. There are tons of Zoo Hypothesis iterations, and there are probably tons more you can all think of, feel free to leave those examples in the comments below or discuss them over on our Facebook group Science and Futurism with Isaac Arthur. Of them all though, this subset, kill everybody and upload their brains to a secure simulation, strikes me as both particularly terrifying and particularly plausible, that someone saw us, didn't want to see us harmed or dead, but wanted us out of play, and just snuck in one day and killed us all. As an upside, they probably would have done that shortly after finding us, and that likely was not recently, so you and I probably have been born inside the simulation rather than being copies of ourselves without our own bodies rotting on the real Earth or getting disassembled to make more processors or paperclips or whatever. As to those massive computers bigger than planets, that might not just be for simulations of species but for housing their own minds, and possibly just one mind. 
You could have some planet-sized computer running a single mass of intelligence, or even an entire star converted over to that purpose, and we'll be exploring that in our episode Conscious Stellar Objects, which is out now for early release over on Nebula. Nebula, our new subscription streaming service, was made as a way for education-focused independent creators to try out new content that might not work too well on YouTube, where algorithms might not be too kind to some topics or demonetize certain ones entirely, or just don't fit into our usual content. And if you'd like to get free access to it, it does come as a free bonus with a subscription to Curiosity Stream, which also has thousands of amazing documentaries you can watch, on top of Nebula-exclusive content from myself, like our Nebula-exclusive series, Coexistence with Aliens, and many other excellent works by creators like CGP Grey, Minute Physics, and Wendover. A year of Curiosity Stream is just $19.99, and it gets you access to thousands of documentaries, as well as complimentary access to Nebula for as long as you're a subscriber and use the link in the episode's description, curiositystream.com slash IsaacArthur. So we were discussing the Fermi Paradox today and we'll be returning to this topic in two weeks to look at another popular notion for a Fermi Paradox solution that has alien civilizations as common, but just not talkative, or perhaps talking but we can't hear them, in the Fermi Paradox, Whispers in the Night. First though, next week we'll be exploring humanity's future as we get out to space and colonize and industrialize our solar system and ask how that industrialization might impact how we colonize in industrial belts in space. If you want alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you'd like to help support future episodes, visit our website, IsaacArthur.net, to donate to the show or look over our inventory of over 200 episodes or our awesome SFIA merchandise. Until next time, thanks for watching, and have a great week!